Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, I started today's show by talking about my childhood. I was a 49ers fan, diehard Niners fan, 10, 11 years old. 49ers were playing the Dallas Cowboys in the NFC Championship game, January of 1982. Everybody remembers the catch, Dwight Clark. I ran out the uh, sliding doors into the backyard of my parents' house in the Bay Area and whooped it up and celebrated and came back in only to find the Dallas Cowboys and Danny White driving down the field. Uh, It was not a pleasant feeling. But our next guest played a big-time role in sealing that NFC Championship victory. 49ers go on to win the Super Bowl. The Dallas Cowboys, who had dominated, didn't dominate that game that season. And really, for the next decade, the Niners took control of the NFC. Lawrence Pillars was the guy. He forced the fumble. Jim Stuckey jumped on it. And this morning I wrote about Lawrence Pillars a little bit uh, at johnconzano.com. And then I went, you know what, i got to look him up. I would like to find him. All these years later, what, 45 years later, where is Lawrence Pillars? Well, it turns out he was in his RV driving to Las Vegas because he wants to be there apparently for the Super Bowl. And he's joining us now. Lawrence Pillars, where are you right now? Set the scene for us. I am a hundred and about fifteen miles from Vegas at uh, an RV spot for the night. I love it, man. Let's go back. I I just want to thank you for stripping that ball out of Danny White's hands. Jim Stuckey jumps on it. I mean, take us back to that feeling and in, in that year in your career. You're early in your career. You'd gone to Alcorn State. You're in the NFL. Niners are trying to win the NFC. What do you remember about that game? I, I remember uh, Bill had called us all to the side. It was a defense on the field, and Bill was talking to us and telling us that we got to get out there and play the best we can play. And uh, I, I basically was a defensive end, but he put me down as a defensive tackle at, at, when Dallas got the ball. And he said, well, y'all just get to him at, at the best you can. And the defensive line, we was all out there, uh, Dwayne Board, Archie Reese, Jim Stuckey, and myself. And all I think, all, all I remember is the guys, we got to get back and we got to do what we got to do because this is our chance. And I think I was playing over Dan Deardorff. And for some reason, I, I, I got the extra strength, whatever it took, to get up or get lower than he was and drive him back that he stepped on Danny White, and I hit Danny White as he was finished to, to get the ball out, and he fumbled it. And, man, stuck a fellow on it, and ha, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, you go on to the Super Bowl, and looking at the play, like I watched video of the play, Lawrence, and, you know, you did a number on Deerdorf and you bowled him over backwards, and then you, you end up right in Danny White's face, and, are you thinking knock the football out, or are you just trying to tackle him? What are you thinking at that time? I was thinking about get to him and make sure that he didn't throw the ball or pass it to someone else. I, I, it wasn't on my mind trying to knock the ball out. It was 
get to him. And and that was the situation. Once I got to him, whatever happened, happened. Stucky jumps on the ball. You guys go to the Super Bowl. Do you remember the celebration at, in that moment and after the game in the locker room? And you guys had come a long way. Yes, yes, I remember the celebration. I, I had a few tears in my eyes. And, and and being a part of a team, knowing that, knowing you play always playing a role as being on the team, but to at that moment it was your opportunity to make something happen. And and I just thank the Lord that He allowed me to make something happen at that moment that I feel like hey, I did just as good as anyone else did on that situation there. Yeah. The uh, the what do you remember? It, you know of that time because you go on, you guys win the Super Bowl, you get to another one in '84, you win that one. You know you're a two-time Super Bowl champion, but you know playing for Bill Walsh, having Joe Montana as a teammate, what was that time like in San Francisco? We all was all the players and Bill. We, we was a family, and a, and a family that sticks together and plays together. You. You know when one is a little weaker, what you'll be able to talk to them and say, come on, let's do this. I mean, we was jailing. We jailed as one, not as individuals, just as a one unit on defense and offense with Joe and them had the ball. Was there a feeling of, you know, the Cowboys had been the champions. They had been obviously dominant, the Packers before them. But was there a feeling of needing to break through in that moment? Or, or what, did, did you, what did you feel like you were up against? Well, we knew we was we was a fantastic team. We knew the players on our team was uh, great players, and it was our time. And we knew that if we played as a unit, the way Bill had taught us and 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 coached us, that we will prevail, come out as champs. Lawrence Pillars, our guest, defensive end in the NFL, two-time Super Bowl champion with the 49ers. He's joining us on his way to Vegas in his RV. He's uh, more than 100 miles outside of Vegas for the for this Super Bowl that's taking place on Sunday. Lawrence, you went to Alcorn State. You were an 11th round pick in the NFL draft. I have to know, like as a kid growing up, who did you root for? What were your dreams? My dreams were there was a, a guy from my hometown that had played in the Super Bowl. And his name was Roy Hilton, and he played with the Baltimore Colts. And they had a parade for everything for Roy in my hometown in Hayhurst, Mississippi. And I ran behind that float trying to get an autograph, and I did not get that autograph. So I made it up in my mind then, if he can do it, so can I. And from that day on, I just put more effort off into it, and I dedicated myself to trying to be the best that I can. And whatever team I hopefully I went to, I will make a difference. What'd you study in college? Uh, biology. In, in I mean that's that's not a normal major for a NFL football player. I mean that you you've obviously had some aspirations that went beyond football. Was what you know when you get drafted in the eleventh round? Are you thinking right away I'm going to make it, or how soon did you know I'll stick in this league? I can play here. Well, I I, I was looking forward to hopefully getting drafted earlier than the eleventh ninth in the eleventh round, and I did not, and, and and I had a chip on my shoulder. I want to show the rest of the world as each player that I went against that I'm just as good or even better 
than what they went. There was a few guys that went the first round that I made sure I tried to punish them in practice and in <laughs> a game. Lawrence, uh, you know, you get to the league. I got to think at your size, you you know, you played around, what, 6'4", 250, 255? Is, is that about right? Yeah. Yes, uh-huh, uh-huh. Did you need more weight? Did the Niners want you light? Did they want you as a pass rusher? What was what were those conversations well, like? Really, they drafted me as an outside linebacker. Well, no, hold, 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 hold. No, the Jets drafted me as an outside linebacker. So I played with the Jets for four years. Then uh, someone, uh, Dwayne Boyle, got his knee or something hurt. Yeah. And then the 49ers played us when Dwayne Boyd got his knee hurt. And they needed a defensive end. And Mark Gassanow was playing behind me with the Jets. So Gassanow needed to play, and I needed to go. So I feel that I got I, I sort of like died and went to heaven. There you go. I mean, and you look back and you think about those those uh, moments in your career that, that take you into other places. And, uh, you know, you go on and you win that second Super Bowl four years later. What – was there a difference, different feeling the second time around or because you had been there once, or what was that like? That that feeling was knowing that we had the capability of doing whatever we wanted to as a unit, as a team. And all it took was, you know, uh, took all of us on defense or offense to be on the same page and, and play whatever the coach wanted us to do. So that's what the situation at that time. We were, we were jelling. We, we, we were having fun. You Do you wear the rings? Yes. I, I, I wear them sometimes depends on where I go. Um, and, uh, you know, my first Super Bowl ring, I'm going to say this, and I know, my first Super Bowl, and I, 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 not knowing that I was going to go to a, a, another Super Bowl, I said, well, my first ring, I'm going to get it, and I had got some bad knuckles on my hand. So my first Super Bowl ring was size 22. And again, it's book of world's record. So I said, well, at least I got the world's largest football. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it just went on that we decided. And it once went on one of them, and then I made sure that the other one did fit. But that 22 was, was – that my first Super Bowl was my – and is my pride and joy. Yeah, and I, I got to think that first one's special. And the second one, you you guys go 15-1 and one in the regular season on the way to winning it. And, you know, by then – you know, the entire defensive backfield is going to the Pro Bowl. Ronnie Lott, Eric Wright, Dwight Hicks, Carlton Williamson. Dwight Hicks and the Hot Licks, as they were called uh, in that day. But, uh, you know, did you have a sense in 81 that it was the start of something? Or were you just like, you know, you had no, you didn't know any better. You're just trying to get there and win it. Well, didn't know any better. I just knew that we depended on each other when um, – when Dwight now, when we when it was a passing situation, Dwight and and and, and what we call them the, the the licks, we they always told us if you give us three to five seconds on them, we'll cover. So they covered them and they gave us enough time to get to the quarterback. Our our defensive backfield was wonderful. Lawrence Pillars with us. Yeah, everybody talks about Joe Montana, but you know that first Super Bowl goal line stand. Uh, in the Super Bowl, it really was, uh, you know, a really hard-fought game, twenty-six, twenty-one. You've been through two Super Bowl weeks. What do you know? Like, tell us what that's like for a player. Uh, the hype, the ticket requests, the the stage. You know, feels bigger than football. Well, back then, 
the head coach made sure we stayed away from a lot of all that hype and and, and and things. And we as as teammates, we made sure that we try to keep other each other on on the right page. This day and time, it's a different story. Uh, it's it's an entirely different story. But back then, it was the coaches, it, it was the organization, it was the owner of the team. Everybody, uh, everybody just they treated us like we was kings, and we wanted to play like we was kings. Lawrence, after football is over, you go, you know, you go back home. When your career ends, what are you thinking? What was your focus at that time? Well, my, my focus at once my career was over was to just try to maintain, to make sure that I did the right thing that kept me out of trouble, and I had great family support from my my siblings, my my mother. We just had, I had great family support, so it never was uh, such a big if, issue because some point along the way we all had fun together. Yeah, after football, do you ever get – the same adrenaline rush as you did with playing the game, or do you have to find other things? I get I get the same adrenaline rush. I try not to watch if it's not the Forty ers I'm watching. I, it really don't matter to me about the other teams or anything. The Forty ers is 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 part of my life. The Forty ers made sure that they put me in the right position at the right time to get Super Bowl ring. So I'm, I'm a diehard now. What do you think now? Because, you know, what came to my mind is you said 11th round pick, and I thought to myself, Brock Purdy. Like, there is there a chip on Brock Sh- Purdy's shoulder? It, it probably is. He's a quarterback, uh, has a different position. Uh, defense, we delivered try to deliver pain or try to get to the quarterback. The quarterback has many more options he got to think about. Oh, wow. He got many more options he got to think about. But, you know, uh, I'm I'm on Purdy's team. As, as, as a fact, I was telling my wife the other day, I said, well, baby, Purdy can't, can't make it. Put me in, coach. I'll play. <laughs> We're talking to Lawrence Pillars, former 49er. Uh, give me an idea. What happened with your, your graduation you know, you got you eventually got your degree. You know, you you'd come back home. You know, what what happened with all of that and and uh, sort of your your career, your educational career? Well, when I got drafted to the Jets in '76, I did not get my college diploma. And once I started professional football, um, college degree really didn't matter. Uh, and then once I got out of it and my wife kept encouraging me that I need a degree or something, and I went back to my university and talked to the personnel and everything and did what they wanted me to do. And uh, after 16 to 20-some years or whatever, I finally got my college degree. Lawrence, congrats on that. Looks like your family's doing well. You know, you obviously had a uh, career after football with – uh, both Subway Sandwiches and a trucking company and uh, working at the hospital in Mississippi and, and being involved in health care. It looks like you checked a lot of boxes. Oh, yes. My wife walked in here and said it was 40 years since I didn't I, before I got my degree after football, so she wanted to correct me that on that. You're, uh, you're going to Vegas. What are you going to do there? What's the plan, and why is that important for you to be there? 
I, I, I'm there to support the 49ers, first of all. I'm, I'm, uh, if there's anything I can do or say to people to help, anything I can do to make sure that we come out on top at the end of the game, I'm there for that. If, if the morale or whatever it takes, like I said, I'm a diehard Niner. When you watch defenses in today's game, how different is – you know, how different is the defensive scheme? It looked to me on that last play in the NFC Championship game, you guys ran a little stunt on the line. Somebody looped around you. Uh, not sure who it was, but, uh, you know, give me an idea schematically. How how much more complex do you think the defenses are? Well, this day and time is entirely different. They got different philosophies, the way they do different schemes. Back then, that was some of the basic schemes of we could use our hand. We could use, we could do the head slap. We could do, you know, you cannot do the head slap. You can't touch your head. It was, back then, you can play good football. Now they are protecting the players more, which I wish they had protected us more then. But they are protecting the players more, so you cannot do what we did back in the 80s father of 10 right grandfather of 16 is that right that's correct that's a big family reunion <laughs> yes it is and we do have them every year all right lawrence hey i want to thank you for making that play i was 11 years old you you made it easy for me to walk around the school playground after you guys won that game uh, it was a real breakthrough moment but uh what a career and i appreciate you joining us and giving us some of your time Hey, anything I can do to put out the word that the Niners, hopefully we're going to pull this thing out. It's not going to be easy, but we're going to pull it out, and I appreciate you. You can call on me anytime. Do you think you could sack Patrick Mahomes? He, he might be. Uh, he's pretty elusive. I can only do one play now. <laughs> you got one more in you? I, I got one play in me, and if he <laughs> runs too far at my age, I ain't going to catch him no <laughs> I appreciate you. You like the okay. Niners to win? You like them to win? you got to pick them. All the way. i got to go with Niners all the way. All right. Thank you, Lawrence. Appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. Right. Be safe on your trip. All right. Thank you. All right. There he goes. Lawrence Pillars, former 49er. we got Mike Walter, another 49er, three-time Super Bowl champion, coming up later in the week. J.J. Burden. A wide re- former wide receiver with the Kansas City Chiefs. So, we're, you know, it's equal time on this show. This is like politics, equal time to both sides. Uh, we'll, do all, we'll do it all week in the run-up to the Super Bowl. Leave it here. you got the BFT statewide. I rather enjoyed that interview with Lawrence Pillars. I hope you did as well. Steven is in his RV. He's driving from Mississippi to Las Vegas. It's 100 miles away from the Super Bowl. 71-year-old Lawrence Pillars uh, heading to the Super Bowl. We'll, uh, later in the week, we've got Mike Walters, uh, three-time Super Bowl champion with the 49ers, who will join us. J.J. Burden, who played with the Kansas City Chiefs, will be on the show. Uh, we've got a couple of guests from Radio Row. I don't want to get too far down the, uh, the rabbit hole on, but uh, Jim McMahon, former Chicago Bears quarterback, may be joining us. I haven't confirmed that yet with his people. Apparently, he's running for uh, president. Have you heard this? Jim McMahon running for president. He's on the uh, cannabis ticket. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I don't know if I can put that one in pen. I'm going to pencil it in right now. So uh, Kyle Turley wants on the show as well as he does every year during the Super Bowl. 
And we've got a few other guests like that potentially on the program. What would you think of the interview with uh, Lawrence Pillars? Long time ago, two Super Bowl champions. No, I think it was great. Um, I loved his mentality just, you know, as being an 11th round pick. I mean, think about that, John. 11th round pick, they've had to shorten the draft to seven rounds. So basically, you know, he's an undrafted guy just trying to fight his way onto a roster. Um, and when he goes, you know, either I tried to uh, get after the quarterback or just cause some pain. Basically, that's what he said. Like, I'm just trying out there to hurt people or get the quarterback. Like, he knew what his job was and knew what his role was, right? Like, that's what the 49ers needed was him to just cause chaos out there, get after the quarterback. That's what he was supposed to do, and he did it. He played it great. Like you said, you know, he's one of your uh, unsung heroes to win those Super Bowl runs. So it's just like yeah. th- those are the important guys on all teams, right? Like any sport, you need those guys that just do the dirty work, know the role, and do it well and don't have to complain about it. And he was just so grateful for everything that he had in the NFL. I mean, it was cool to hear. We got a trade deadline in the NBA coming up. Speaking of unsung heroes, I'm looking at the Blazers roster. I'm looking at the new collective bargaining agreement that's got some penalties for for teams that are just outside the 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 luxury tax. There's you know these these secondary aprons that will be uh, will cost some teams dearly if they get too high in the payroll. Steven, I'm kind of thinking the Blazers might be uniquely positioned with some guys on this roster that are marginal talents with marginal contracts to be a, to be a seller at the trade deadline. Um, along that note, is there an unsung hero on this Blazers season? Yeah, I think uh, it'd be Malcolm Brogdon. I, he's been really good this season. Like he's been consistently maybe their best player all season long. I think, and he's really held it down when we. I wouldn't say that we expected Scoot to be awesome from day one, but we thought a lot more. We thought to be able to come and play right away, and he really couldn't, right? Like, he needed some some seasoning. And Malcolm kind of came in and has steadied that guard role to be able to handle the ball. And you're right. I think the Blazers are in a position where they have a guy like Malcolm Brockton, who is a veteran in this league, who's played on the biggest of stages as he did last season with the Celtics and was good. So he's a guy that can play in the playoffs. And he's on a, t- a one year, or uh, he has one year after this year on his contract. It's mm-hmm. a reasonable contract. I think the Blazers will be able to look to trade him. Um, but it's one of those things where he's kind of been the, he's been the guy this year, and he's proven his value. I think in the NBA, where he's he's a player in a big time situation that can handle the basketball and can make a play for himself, can make a play for others, can make a jump shot, and that's hard to get. And I think right now, when you look at the Blazers roster, he doesn't necessarily fit with all the young players with Scoot Henderson. Anthony Simons, Shaden Sharp, all 24 and younger. Like, that's the future backcourt. Brogdon at 31 doesn't fit in. So I think they're in a unique spot where they have a good asset uh, at an important position that can be very helpful in a playoff series. So I do think the Blazers are in a very good spot going in the trade deadline. But it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do because there has been talk that they like Brogdon. They like the fact that he provides a little bit of leadership and expertise for these young guards. But in my mind, you you, you got to get rid of these guys because they're not part of the future. You got to you got to cash in while you can. I think this is a perfect year to do it if you're a Blazer. The Trailblazers making twenty two and a half million dollars as well, and twenty two and a half million next season. Um, you know, it's probably a number you'd like to uh, to get out from under and go younger with. Um, I don't think we're going to see a bunch of blockbuster big trades because you know I was I was reading more and more about you know the changes in the collective bargaining agreement that are coming. It's going to penalize some teams that try to go out and make lopsided deals. They're not going to be able to do it under the new CBA. They're going to be limited in what they can do. It's going to cost them dearly. One general manager um, telling an NBA reporter that the trade of Damian Lillard to the Bucks. they called it the Bucks running to the buffet an hour before closing time. 
meaning they made the deal and there's going to be a significant um, penalty. The Bucks apparently look – I mean, the Bucks look like they're just trying to go now. Like, they know they have Giannis. They have a closing window. You know, there's nothing in sports that says win now, like making a deal that has, you know, no thought about what what is happening in two years. And so that said, I'm looking at Milwaukee and the way Doc Rivers has started, and I'm kind of going like – this doesn't feel like their year. I don't know. There's a lot of runway here. Is there a move for the Bucks? What do they need for to in your mind to to become a team that is a true contender or are they? I think they they I would put them in the contender category, but I don't trust them one bit. And so I don't think with the way the roster is constructed, they have to be considered a contender because they are all in, like you said. I just don't trust them going forward with Doc Rivers as a head coach. And I think what they need is they need a guy that is willing to basically go out and guard the best, the other team's best player and not get the basketball very much and do it really well. And then when he needs to knock down Nopa 3, right now they kind of have Malik Beasley in that role. He's not a great defender, and I think you look at the Bucks' defense – and, you know, I put some blame on Damian Lillard as well because he's not a great defender, but that defense is not very good this season. And I think that they need some of these guys that are not, you know, focused on the offensive side of the ball. They're focused on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that's what the Bucks really need going forward because you look at the Eastern Conference and you're going to go up against Boston. Like, they got Jason Tatum. They got Jalen Brown. They got Kristaps Porzingis. Like, you can't just throw out guys like Damian Lillard out on those players. You have to throw really good defenders at those guys that can make it hard for them. So, I don't trust the Bucks going forward, but you have to put them in the contender category because, like you said, they're all in. They are all in, and there's no doubt about that. I am uh, looking at the true contenders. Boston gets talked about. Now with Joel Embiid's knee issue, Philadelphia not so much. Who are you really including in the group that can win it? Because right now, um, you know, the Pac-12 tournament in men's basketball and the NBA championship feel as difficult as possible to predict like we know arizona is really good but they've been beaten by stanford and washington state in men's basketball and gosh the tournament could come and it could be oregon it could be ucla it could be washington state i also think um uh i also think that uh you know you're looking at the nba and like who do you really trust that's the thing i mean the pac-12 tournament by the way is going to be awesome i mean the pac-12 is just crazy at basketball you look at the nba i mean with Embiid, the uncertainty and the injury, I think Philadelphia is great when Embiid plays, but I can't trust that injury now. So if I'm looking at the East, it's Boston and Milwaukee. And like I said, I don't trust Milwaukee, so it seems like it's Boston or nothing. The only other team in the East, if they can make another move, and they can, they have draft capital, is the Knicks. The Knicks have been playing really well uh, as of late. Jalen Brunson is a legitimate you know, MVP caliber player. If they make another move for a big-time player, they could jump into that category, but I'm not ready to put them yet. And you look at the Western Conference – you know, Oklahoma City is number one. Minnesota is number two. I, it kind of goes back to the whole like Detroit Lions thing. Do I trust the Lions to make the Super Bowl? I don't because it's just the history of the franchise. But maybe the talent of those teams are so good and they can't get to the NBA Finals when historically young teams like this don't make that big jump. So I don't trust the Thunder. I don't trust the T-Wolves. I think in the, in the West, it's the Clippers. It's the Nuggets. It's the Suns. And that's about it. So I think... What that proves is if you're one of those teams is on the fringe, you know, you are in Oklahoma City, you are in Minnesota, you are a Lakers, you're a Mavericks, maybe go out and try to make that big move because I think it is wide open. Like I don't there's not a lot of teams that I really trust besides I think Boston is like one of the one teams I really trust in the Eastern Conference or the NBA to get there. So you make a big move, I think this could be a year where 
a team kind of comes out of nowhere and has a chance for an NBA championship. I think uh, you're right, and I think it's going to be interesting. And I, like you, I look at Milwaukee and I go, I don't see it. And maybe part of it is my bias. Like, I just don't want, you know, we've seen Rasheed Wallace leave the Blazers, go on win a world championship with the Pistons. I think that hurt some Blazer fans, hurt their hearts, because the Blazers came up short in the Western Conference Finals. And there are some Blazer fans rooting for Dame, saying, you know, if he couldn't have it here, we want him to have it. But um, I kind of think, you know, his he didn't pull a James Harden. He was loyal, as loyal as you can be by NBA standards. But I, as I went back today, I was reading some of his comments about wanting to go to Miami, wanting to be, uh, wanting to get out of Portland, and I just kept thinking, like, you know, it's great that you wanted to get out and now want to dictate where you go, but he could have left without signing a contract, and he could have picked his destination. He, he did ask out. He did not want to play in Portland. Yeah, I mean, he did say not here, and so I'm kind of left going, you know what? Like, I don't know if you should be behind that. As a Blazer fan, in the end, I don't know. I I root for Portland on the trade deadline to get it right, make a move that continues to add assets to what should be a pretty good team with some young draft picks coming out of this draft. All right, we're back tomorrow. We got we got another uh, great show for you. We'll focus on Vegas and the Super Bowl even more. The bald faced truth not here for a long time. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.